Hey Irish fans, Alex Painter here to remind you that this episode of Onward to Victory is proudly presented by WCScreens.com. If you have needs with screen printing, embroidery, or more, please check out our pals at WCScreens.com. They have nationwide shipping and wholesale pricing. Not only are they big supporters of this podcast, but like you, they are also diehard fans of the Fighting Irish. WCScreens.com. And on with the show. I'll be real here. This episode has easily and immediately vaulted to one of my favorites in show history. Joining the show today is legendary Irish quarterback Terry Hanratty. I guarantee you'll enjoy his perspective as both the signal caller for the 1966 National Championship team and later a 1968 All-American. So buckle up that chin strap, Irish fan. This is Onward to Victory. Irish fans, and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter, and I'm happy you're here with me today. Alas, we have a very esteemed guest to commemorate the show's fourth anniversary. Yes, the legendary former Notre Dame quarterback, Mr. Terry Hanratty, will be joining the show in just a couple minutes for a conversation I know you're really going to enjoy. But first, a sincere thank you to all the listeners who have afforded me the opportunity to do this for the past four years. This podcast can only be described as a labor of love, as I'm sure most history podcasts can be, but either way, it's still, in 2023 here, a little hard to fathom that not only is the show still going, but it's also growing, and I couldn't do it without you. Also, a huge thank you to the show's sponsors, the Consensus All-Americans. They are the very special individuals who contribute to the show monetarily. Those folks who have either contributed significantly in the past or are currently donating to the show include Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Will Fuller of Warren, Ohio, Dr. Jeremy Scarlett of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, and Andy Nickel of South Bend, Indiana. This episode and all episodes are also brought to you by our friends at WC Screens. Thank you all. And if you'd like to join the ranks of the Consensus All-Americans, Please feel free to visit the collection baskets at paypal.me slash onward to victory or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. And if you aren't in a position to give, hey, no worries. You can still like, subscribe, leave a review, or just tell all your friends and family about the show as well. But without further ado, let's get to the main event. Onward to Victory's interview with Terry Hanratty. Right after this. Our guest on the show today, this fourth anniversary special, needs very little introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Terry Hanratty was born in 1948 in Butler, Pennsylvania. 
He was a prep star, and he was a first-team All-State quarterback while suiting up for the Butler High School Golden Tornadoes. He then entered the University of Notre Dame during the legendary era Parsegian years, and he was under center for the 1966 National Championship Irish team, perhaps the finest Notre Dame team ever assembled. And he was a consensus All-American pick in 1968 as a senior. This led to an eight-year professional career, mostly spent with some spectacular Pittsburgh Steeler teams. I am honored to have him on the show here, Mr. Terry Hanratty. Terry, how are you? Wonderful, Alex. How are you doing today? Well, me, I couldn't be better, Terry. It's not every day we have an absolute legend on the show. And thank you again for taking the time to speak with me and, and share a little bit more about your playing days here on Onward to Victory. You're my pleasure. Well, I got to say, so you come from a very long line of Western Pennsylvania quarterbacks. Even just looking at Notre Dame, there's Johnny Lujak and Joe Montana, you know, Tom Clements. Pat Steenberg was from up in Erie. So if I may ask, what was your recruitment process like? How did you end up at Notre Dame from Butler High School? Well, it was uh, it was an interesting time. You know, you just named the Notre Dame quarterbacks from Western PA. Yeah. You know, when you fall back on the George Blanders and the Johnny Unitas and the Joe Namath, and there's a, a long list of, of quarterbacks. And everybody used to always say, how did that happen? I said, well, you got you to gotta see the, the breakdown of Western PA. It's all ethnic. You got the Polish, the Irish, the Italian, the white, the black. I mean, it, and everybody was uh, blue collar, and every town had to have football. And those people bred big, tough kids. Right. So everybody played a lot of football, and every team needs a quarterback. So hence, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good football played, and it sort of elevated the uh, the position of quarterback. But it was, back then, it was a lot different from now. You know, there weren't any stars. You know, you weren't a three-star, four-star, five-star player. You know, you, the word just got out that, you know, this kid from Butler or this kid from Beaver Falls, Namath or whatever, was pretty good at his position you know then they would come personally and check out you know the, the person and uh johnny ray who was a defense coordinator was a recruiter for western pennsylvania so you know johnny came to see me and took me to dinner and all that good stuff then i finally met era then i was almost signed sealed delivered to michigan state okay because duffy doherty we went up there and he's a great guy and he's from pennsylvania and then john ray called me and said listen era's going to be in pittsburgh and it's 30 miles from butler can you meet him for lunch? And I said, yeah. So we met at the Hilton Hotel in the coffee shop there, and we talked for a couple hours. And I came home. I said, Mom, I'm going to Notre Dame. <laughs> he said, well, what about Michigan State? I said, I just met the man that I want to spend the next four years with. I think Coach Barzini is a great guy, a great coach. He promised me nothing. It was sort of unusual back then because right. you got – you know, I was promised houses, I was promised uh, cars, I was promised money, I was promised a you know, new house for my mother, or that if she didn't want to move, they'll come in and refurbish it, all that good stuff. But uh, Notre Dame's the only, one of the only schools not to offer you anything, except for an opportunity to compete. And I thought that was, you know, crazy. I don't know how at age 17 I could figure out that, you know, that, that was the thing to, to listen for. But it happened, and it was probably the best decision I ever made. The fact that Notre Dame and ERA, Coach Parsegian, offered you a spot to compete, and you were clearly a competitor because by the time you were a sophomore 
1966, you had risen up the depth chart to QB1, and that famous game from 1966 was the 10-10 tie against Michigan State. So what were you thinking at that time, having been highly recruited by Michigan State and kind of thinking at one point or another you were actually heading there? What were your thoughts and feelings going into that particular game, kind of the de facto national championship game? Yeah, it was it was a strange deal. You know, one of the biggest factors of that era was especially how different it is today. You know, my freshman year, I was one of four all-state quarterbacks in my class. Mm. Myself, Coley O'Brien, Mike Franger from Elkhart, and Bob Belton from Ohio. And nobody transferred. Everybody stayed there. Everybody was willing to. Mike Franger eventually went to basketball. But, you know, everybody stayed and competed and I think brought the best out of everybody. So, but, you know, playing against Michigan State, it was, then again, you got to flash back forward and backward real quick where there's no ESPN. There's no internet. The, the only sports you ever saw was, uh, you know, on the weeknights, maybe five minutes of the newscast. Right. And the newspaper. And, you know, so it was, Eric took all, everything off of the table. You know, no, no players were, you know, bigger than the interview thing, just the, the upperclassmen. And he really guarded Jimmy and I. Mm. And uh, so it was interesting to play the game. And I had to play much because, you know, Bubba separated my shoulder in the first quarter. Right. But that was uh, not a nationally televised game. A lot of people don't understand that. Back right. then, you could only be national TV three times in a two-year period. Wow. How, thing, how things have changed, huh? With national TV every game now. Right. So what, what they did is they blocked out North and South Dakota which now they could have a regional game for the rest of the 48. Right, gotcha, gotcha. So they had a, a re- big regional game of that thing. I, and I mean, it's funny because it's to this day, you know, 50-some years later, and there's people who are still saying, you know, I can remember exactly where I was for that game. Mm. I can remember where I was. I was getting so-and-so's wedding. Jimmy was getting married or whatever, you know. <laughs> everybody knew exactly what the hell was going on. Yeah. Well, it's one of those watershed moments in Notre Dame football history. I mean, it's especially if you consider the last, you know, six or so decades. Hey, you brought up Bubba Smith, just an incredible defensive lineman from Michigan State. What was it like looking across the line and seeing him? I imagine it was, if I may say, kind of piss your pants frightening. But that's just kind of <laughs> that's just kind of me talking. So what what was it like, you know, looking across the line and seeing such a talented collegiate player, a talented football player? Well, yeah, Bubba was he, he was interesting to look at. You know, he's six eight, right? He's a big individual. And back then, there there weren't many Bubba size. You know, we didn't have one guy over three hundred, and Bubba they just barely touched three hundred, mm. and he was the only guy on their team. But you know, he stood out like a sore thumb. He was a you know big guy. Right. We got to know each other real well. Years later, we did a couple middle Miller Lite commercials together. And Bubba, just a really, really good person who left us much too early. Right. So since we're talking about the 1966 season, I've talked about him on the show quite frequently, and loyal listeners of Onward to Victory know I have a familial connection to the captain and linebacker, one of the linebackers on that 1966 team in Jim Lynch. Terry, can you can you tell us a little bit about your perspectives on Jim and what it was like being a teammate of his? Well, he, he's just a class person. Jim, I, I felt so bad when he died this year. And 
you know, just it, it really hurt everybody. Uh, he was a great player, great individual, you know, just a good person. Went on to had a great career in the pros, and he was just your your typical captain. I mean, he he led the team. If you had any problems at all, he wants to see Jimmy, and you know, he had all the answers for you. And he was especially for us young guys. Right. You know, Jimmy and I were sophomores starting, and you know, so we needed a little more, a little more push behind us. And those guys were, you know, they were. Jim was part of the part of the push, part of the good push. He seemed like that. He just seemed like the consummate professional, even in the college ranks. And that just kind of seemed like that was the consensus about him. What about Coach Araparsegian? If you were to describe him in a sentence or two, what words, phrases come to mind? Well, the best thing I could probably say, and I've only met a couple people I could say this about, I've never met anybody who could say a bad word about Ara. Mm. And there's very few people where you can say, you know, I like him, but, but, I like him, but, I like her, but. But with Ara, the other, the other person was Art Rooney Sr. Mm-hmm. And, and also the Rooney trickle down deal. The first person was Sr. who, you know, started the franchise there. And those two guys were the first two guys I was able to say, I, you know, I can't say a bad, no one's ever said a bad word about him. But Ara was just a, he cared as much about winning as you graduating. Mm. And he made sure you went to class. He made sure you got every went to every class. And I found that out when I started. I missed a couple classes, and I got that phone call. And that's one phone call you don't want, right? Ain't <laughs> uh, getting all over you. So, what was your favorite memory as a, a football player at Notre Dame, Terry? Favorite memory, or wow. me- or memories, if you've got multiple ones. Yeah, there, there you know, there are. You know, you, you can't. I have. You know, I'll rely on that first game coming out of the, oh, the, the the funny story about that Purdue game. Yeah. My sophomore year, when we were, you know, first, Jimmy and I got our first starts. And, you know, we come out and we're with guns, guns flaring. But, and I didn't know this until after the game. We were going through the chow line, you know, pregame meal. And I'd never had steak for breakfast. I grabbed the steak, grabbed the baked potato, got the, the scrambled eggs, got everything that they had there because i'd never eaten like this at breakfast right <laughs> and i got the toast piled on there and i went and got a seat in the cafeteria and i didn't realize but the whole damn room was looking at me and i just wolfed all this food down and after the game everybody said you wouldn't believe what he ate for breakfast <laughs> and it was to me you know i've always in my life whether it's 10 year old baseball whether it's Super Bowl, whether it's national championship, I've always my whole theory has always been that was brought on to me by coaches way back. You work your ass off as hard as you can, and you play the game, and you can't control the outcome. You just gotta if you put in the work, it's gonna happen. If you don't, it's not. So you, the one who's gonna really judge you is when you look in that mirror. Mm. So not nothing really bothered me. Nothing you know. I I knew if we won, you know, we won. If we didn't, you know, we got to get back to work again. Right. You know, so that's sort of the, the philosophy I've always had. And it worked pretty good, so not bad. I made it, I made it to 75, and a lot of people would have had the under. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll see that. Yeah, and, and we'll, get, we'll get there here really soon. You just bring up some really good points on philosophy and, and mindset when it comes to 
being an athlete. If you could, and Terry, you and I were talking about this offline. I currently coach Little League Baseball, and I coach flag football. I pretty much coach everything under the sun. And you've, of course, as you mentioned, taken many turns at coaching as well. What is the one piece of advice you could give to young athletes? Play all sports. Do not specialize when you're 8, 10 years old. Mm. That really, really hurts you because every sport will develop a muscle pattern in you. So you have to play all sports to develop all your whole body. And you owe it to yourself because when you want to make, if you're playing football and all of a sudden you have to make a sidearm delivery with the ball, you want to have made that sidearm delivery with a baseball. For the first time you do it with a football, you may just tear your arm off. Mm-hmm. So you want your whole body muscle mass to be developed. And it, one one sport helps the other. Right. And the greatest sport in the world is basketball, where you are running, you are jumping, you are hand-eye with the ball. You're playing defense, you're playing offense, you're thinking quick, quick, quick. And that's a, a great, great sport. And so I tell kids, do not specialize because... You're not going to make it to the NHL or the, the all these guys. My Steeler team, we used to go in the off season to different schools and play basketball against faculties and whatnot. And they'd always bring in some ringers. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. All of all these guys had. We were all really good basketball players, whether it was just high school, but we could all play the game. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pros that you know they can play any sport because they've done it in the past. So play all sports. That's that's the biggest thing I can tell kids right now. Terry, I, I can absolutely appreciate that sentiment as well, and I would absolutely preach the very same. So I got a twofold, two, twofold quick question here. You keep mentioning Jim Seymour, <laughs> but who was the best player you played with and who was the player that you played with that you most respected? It could be college or pro. Ooh. Uh, most respect, probably Rocky. Liar. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that one too. You know, everybody used to say, well, who's, the, who's your favorite receiver? I said, the one who gets open. <laughs> and that, that's pretty much it. You know, you got to, you know, being the quarterback, you can't show favoritism because people, the defense knows you're showing favoritism. So they're going to load up to one side. So you have to totally mix it around. Even you may upset some people because they might think they need the ball more, whatever. But, the, you know, that's part of managing the game. I mean, and you have to go out there and move the ball around. Your team will do better if you do that. That right. whole thing is team. So most respected is is Rocky. I wonderful, yeah, wonderful Rocky, story. Rocky was, you know, when he came back from Vietnam, he was a year ahead of me, and no one back then, you know, everybody had a number. You know, my number was fifty eight, so I needed to get into the National Guard, mm-hmm. or I would have been been drafted. And every team held up two or three spots for their top draft picks. And Rocky was, a, back then, we had 16 or 17 rounds. Right. And Rock was the last round when it was 16 or 17, I forget. And so they really never thought he was going to make the team. So they didn't have any spots available for him. And all of a sudden, he started playing really well, practicing in preseason games. And all of a sudden, boom, he made the team. And a week later, he got his uh, notice to report yeah. for the military. Uncle Sam came calling, yeah. Yeah, he went on a different team. Right, exactly. And, and it was, uh, and I'll never forget, I'm in training camp my rookie year, and Chuck Dole came into the meeting room. They said, I got some sad news. Yeah, Rocky got, got uh, blown up. We don't know how bad it is, but he's, he's definitely wounded. 
And uh, when he came back from Vietnam, he lived with my family and I. And as we're working out together, I said, Rock, what? You know, you couldn't believe because he had this horrible limp. And he's trying to run. And Mr. Rooney already said, I'll send you to law school on me. Mm. If you don't want to play. No, no, I got to play. got to play. Got to try. Got to try. I said, Rock, I said, you're crazy, man. Why why are you killing yourself? Why don't you go to law school? Mr. Rooney's going to pay for it. Boom. You're set. No, no, no. Got to do this. And each day we'd work out. I'd go, oh, my God, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. And all of a sudden, it wasn't so horrible. And I'm saying, what the hell's going on here? You're right. And he, he started to run a little better. And he came back, and I'll tell you what, after, you know, I gave him one year to recoup. Then the next year, it started the, the comeback. And it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. Because most people don't realize, you know, what happened to him. Because it's been a long time. Right. And for him to make that comeback, if I could have bet, you know, he rushed for a thousand yards in the NFL when there's 14 games. That's, you know, that's, that was a milestone back then. Oh, yeah. And if I could have made a bet, the Rocky would never make a, a thousand. I would have lost every dime I ever owned. <laughs> well, but, but, uh, but his just stick to itiveness, and he just, you know, he did it. And it's one of the great, great comebacks certainly was and it's a remarkable story i'm so glad you shared a personal insight and personal story there terry about rocky blyer i mean he was he is a, a fantastic obviously story and, and just one of the biggest examples and, and beacons of perseverance and folks understand his sacrifice and, and his long road back so i guess i'll work a little backwards here so Terry, you were uh, named a consensus All-American in 1968, and then in 1969, you were drafted in the second round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Mr. Rooney, you keep bringing up, is of course the owner of the the Steelers, and thank you for sharing some perspective on your pro career as well. I'm just going to back up just a little bit here. So, oh, and I guess actually, so you'd mentioned Rocky was the the guy you most respected. Who do you think was the hands-down, flat-out best guy, best football player you ever played with? In college, you had Notre Dame, you mean? Sure, either college or pro. Or how about how about one in college and one in the professional ranks? Oh man, the Steelers teams had so much talent. They sure did. I mean, I mean, Joe Green and I were rookies together. And Joe was phenomenal. And you know, go to the defensive side. Yeah, Mel Blunt, phenomenal. And they have eight guys in the Hall of Fame from that defense. Oh yeah, they were tough. So it was, and a couple of them, L.C. Greenwood, a dear friend of mine, we were rookies together also. And he's the late L.C. Greenwood. Why he's not in the Hall of Fame, I have no clue. <laughs> and and, it, and it's just, you know, so that would be nine out of 11. So, I mean, I played with a lot of talented guys. And an offense, I mean, you had we had a great offensive lineman, but they didn't get credit for nothing. Right. But, you know, you, you can't run or throw the ball without the offensive line. That's very true. And, you know, same with Notre Dame. I mean, you got, you know, Jimmy was a great receiver, but then we, if I didn't have three or four seconds to throw that ball, he's not going to catch it, and I'm not going <laughs> to com- complete him. So our offensive line, you know, with Bob Kucherberg, George Kunz, George Gedeke, you know, Dick Swatland, I mean, we had so many great offensive linemen that it was really, can't pick one up. You know, defense, same way, you're talking about Jim Lynch. Right. And, and you got Alan Page. You got, you know, we had some real talent, especially in 66. I mean, those, those teams, those I still say the two best teams ever to play each other are Michigan State and Notre Dame in 66. Yeah. And if you look at both sides, them and us, 
a first round draft choice, second round draft choice, Hall of Famers, All Americans, incredible. And the talent is unbelievable. Yeah, that game was absolutely littered with stars. You're exactly right. And so, how about this one, Terry? To you, and looking back at your time at Notre Dame and kind of all your time since even, if you were to say, what what is the spirit of Notre Dame? If you were to be asked that, which I guess is what I'm doing right now, what is the spirit of Notre Dame to you? Family. Because that is, I think it may be changing a little bit only because the way the, the field, or the way the, the uh, campus is structured. Mm-hmm. Because back then you didn't have all this off-campus off housing. So you had, uh, everybody lived on campus, everybody lived in the dorm. You know, some of my best friends never played football. They were just they were my classmates. And we were so close together as student athletes and student students that you didn't know the difference. And it was, you know, a really a great way to, uh, to spend your four years. And you know, now all the kids, you know, when my son was there, and all of a sudden, you know, sophomore year, he's moving off campus. I said, what, right. what's going on? What's, what, what? Oh, we're all going. We're all moving. We're all moving. I go, wow, wow. I mean, it's, it's just expanding, and it's just sort of diluting. I get to the point where I bug him so much. He say, he said, Dad, guess who I'm going to dinner with tonight? I said, who? A non-football guy. <laughs> I said, good. Get to know your classmates. They're the ones going to get your job in the next few years. <laughs> That's so true, though. Oh, I love that. Hey, but but you're right, Terry. It, it kind of does feel like, you know, there's like kind of a bit of a sequestering with the athletes, the non-athletes, the football players, the non-football players. And that's kind of becoming more prevalent across the college athletics landscape, not just football, but athletics. So I guess I got to ask you, you brought up residence halls. What residence halls did you live in? I lived a freshman year. You know, we had freshman dorms back then. Right. Yes. And you had to move. Freshman year, I was at Stanford. Okay. Then, then, you know, I, I was able to, you know, as a football player, we were able to sort of move anywhere we wanted. But I had two guys that did not play football who were on the cusp of flunking out. So I had to go. I lived in Zom, the zoo, for, for a year. Okay. Because that's the only dorm that I could pull the two of them in. Oh, so okay. we, had, we had a threesome there the last two years in Walsh. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I mean, I could never see myself if an eight o'clock class and you're living off campus. You, you know, all of a sudden you wake up, you got a foot of snow. Right. Am I going to go, you know, dig my car out? That's going to take an hour. Yeah. And drive to school two miles an hour and find some place to park and walk another 20 minutes. Or, no. That seems put miserable. Me on, put me on campus and this way I'll get to class. Yep, that's right. Well, I appreciate your. Getting to class thing, I mean, that's that's important. And I know that Notre Dame holds its student-athletes and football players to a much higher standard when it comes to going to class. And that's one thing that I think we can all wrap our arms around and be appreciative of. Thank you so much again, Terry, for your time and spending it with, with me and Onward to Victory. And I know everyone's going to really love this conversation we're having. So I guess I'll ask one final question. And again, thank you for your reminiscences uh, over you know the past twenty five or so minutes. But what is your assessment of the current Irish? Do you follow the the current Irish much, or are you still very, a fan? Very much, very much. Good deal. And I I don't like nil. I don't like the uh, transfer the, portal. The transfer portal. Right. 
uh, I don't like these kids transferring all the, you know, Dracovic should be a quarterback in Notre Dame now. Yeah, and I put saw it, he'll be put it, put it that way. Yeah, he and, he'll be facing and, Notre Dame this but, year. You know, that's that's sort of what you know. You have a you know, like I said earlier, we had four guys who were all all state quarterbacks in my freshman class, and you 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 sort of build on it. And what 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 you're really going to hurt is the alumni and fans because if you see this kid who's a sophomore, you sort of watch a freshman, or whatever. You sure watch him progress over the years. But now he's gone. Oh. Right. And you got this one year guy. I'm sure I hear Hartman is a wonderful guy. I've never met him, but I hear he's just a super, super individual. Right. And this is no no you know, nothing on him. It's just the, the whole situation. Is you you get a quarterback who comes in for one year and gone. Mm-hmm. I mean you you have nothing to grasp onto as for being a fan and alumnus. And that's what Notre Dame made Notre Dame was the Subway alumni. Absolutely. And so that's you know that's something you're going to hurt yourself with. And I, I think the cat the cat's out of the bag. I don't think I don't see how you can ever take it back. But I just don't I don't think you ever get anybody my age. Maybe maybe it's my age that's talking. I have no idea. But all I want is to have my nil money from the sixties yeah. sent to me. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. And uh, you certainly, you certainly, if it was uh, if it was available, then you certainly would have made your fair share. But what you bring up is right. It's especially for that position you bring up, and you know it as well as anyone because you played quarterback with, as you say, three other all-state performers. It's like that position in particular is just one that people just want to play, and if they if they have to compete, it just they don't do it. You know, we want to wrap our arms around guys who wear the blue and gold. You know, yeah. and, and you want you want you want to see them grow. Absolutely, and you want to grow with them. You know, and really have fun to think that next year, you know, Billy's always going to be a junior next year. We have him for two more years. You know, right. So now you don't know who's coming in next year. Yep. You know, it could be someone from wherever, whatever school. You're right too about Sam Hartman. I've heard nothing but really positive and amazing things, and he is just kind of a product of like the system that's been constructed, where a guy can go for his sixth year somewhere. Maybe it'll shake out eventually. I hope it gets regulated a little bit tighter just for the sake of being a fan. So I hear you, Mr. Terry Handready. There you go. Well, Terry, thank you so very much for joining okay, me. Okay, Alex, listen, good luck in your podcast. Hey, thank you, you very, so much. Very good job. Thank you so much, and uh, we will talk soon. And thank you again for your time. Okay, take care now, Alex. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mr. Terry Hanratty, folks. And I'll be right back with show wrap. I just have to say it once more. It was so awesome being able to spend some time on the phone with Irish legend Terry Hanratty, and I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. It's hard to believe that another year has come and gone, and I always try to do something a little special or a little different perhaps for the anniversary special. Uh, This is probably the most memorable thus far. And again, I said it at the beginning of the show, I can't thank you all enough for being a supporter of Onward to Victory. This is largely a one-person shop with the support of you all and with you all listening. And I got to say, you know, when I started this podcast in June of 2019, I kind of pushed out the very first episode of the show. It was called A Heisman at Iwo Jima. Perhaps you've 
heard it or you listened to it, it was about Angelo Bertelli, who you know won the Heisman Trophy, but then you know shortly thereafter found himself on the front lines at uh, one of the bloodiest campaigns during World War II, the Iwo Jima campaign, and just how harrowing of an experience that must have been for him. But you know what the episode contemplated was just how quickly life can change. I suppose that might have been an overarching theme. But regardless, I'm so appreciative. That episode went out, and I tirelessly promoted it. And I mean tirelessly. And I would check the metrics of the podcast probably six, seven, eight, maybe even ten times a day just to see if anybody had listened to it. And I remember by the end of June 2019, again, the first month that the show was in existence, that I was really pleased with the fact that I think there were 30 different people who tuned into the show. Now, I do have a lot of brothers, so I figured there was, and siblings and family members for that matter, so I figured maybe it was 15 other people who listened to the show, but I'm very humbled to be able to continue to do this, and it's very humbling that people still share with me how much they enjoy the show. So thank you very much, and I know there's still some people who are listening to this that probably listened to episode one and all those early episodes where I was still probably really trying to hone the craft and kind of make a mark, if you will. And so I know there's there's those people are still around and thank you, regardless of how long you've been a listener of the show. There is still a lot planned for the summer for the show, so always be checking your favorite podcast provider for any show updates. If you'd like to drop the show an email, uh, please do so, Onward to Victory Podcast at gmail.com. Especially if you enjoyed this episode and this conversation with Terry Hanratty, I'd love to hear about it. So feel free to drop me a line there. But with that, I had better sign off on this fourth anniversary special. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go. Irish.